Hello and welcome to Focus on Fantasy Romance, episode number 26, a podcast where we discuss books, genre, industry, and our geeky lives. And today we have a book chat. Uh, Pauline is going to read the blurb, but we are going to be discussing A Viking Ghost for Valentine's Day by Joanne Carson. P? <clears throat> a, a Viking Ghost for Valentine's Day. To feed her three children, widow Abigail Jensen takes the only job available in Sunset Cove, night cleaner in the notorious haunted tea house. She features... Uh, she figures the wild supernatural rumors about the place are pure fiction. After all, ghosts don't exist. Eric Eklund, a sexy spirit from Sweden, is over a thousand years old. Having missed his chance at Valhalla, the Viking spends his time roaming the world and gambling. That is, until he sees Abby, whose frisky earthly spirit turns his ghostly world upside down. When the two meet, sparks fly but their romance is interrupted by polaristist hunting children. Evil spirit. Poltergeist. What? Thank you. What happens when you miss a naughty Viking ghost built like a Norse god, a strong woman who suffers no fools, and a nasty polarist? Answer, another fun gambling ghost story. A Viking ghost for Valentine's Day is a lighthearted novella filled with love, laughter, and just enough goaliness to thrill and chill you to the bone. So, can you hear me? This was selected by Ishabel. This is uh, definitely a paranormal romance. Uh, did we want to break it down by like characters, setting, um, plot, and stuff like that, or we just want to shoot from the hip? Okay, so let's start with characters. So the the main character is Abigail Jenkins, Abby, um, and she, like the the blurb says that she took a job in a a new to her city as a nighttime cleaner for this haunted tea house. And she's got two small, three small children under the age of, I think it said four or five. Um, and I liked Abby, but she did seem to fall a little bit flat for me. Um, I have small children. They're not necessarily three and all under the age of four. Uh, but reading reading through the book, I had a problem with uh, like why did you why did you move your family to somewhere where you don't have any relatives? It was um, not explained early on why she moved. It just seemed kind of weird that she would move to this uh, in the middle of nowhere town without the support that you need when you have small kids. And it just I don't know like like I said she felt kind of flat to me. Um, she was she was strong and she was opinionated and she did uh, not believe in ghosts at the beginning, but I think that her her turnaround, her acceptance of the supernatural was really abrupt and it didn't really fit what the author was telling us about the character. Do you know what I mean, Amy? Uh, yeah, I do know what you mean. I felt she was pretty two-dimensional as a person to me. She didn't really um, not in a creepy way. She didn't really touch me <laughs> as a character. Um, 
And I didn't feel any kind of like connection to her, and I really didn't feel all that bad for her, which I think was what the author was going for, was you're supposed to feel a little bit sorry for her situation that she was in that forced her to take this job and whatnot, and I really didn't feel that about her. Um, and certain things about the character were a little bit oxymoronic in a way because, you know, here she was um, at once super curious because she writes mystery novels. So, you know, she inserts herself into what she thinks is, you know, this grand mystery of what's behind this door in this hallway that she's told never to touch or go into. At the same time, she's also very, has um very scary, hesitant personality. Like when she's first approaching the tea house, like she's, she's real skittish about it. But at the same time, she really wants to open that door. So it's almost like the writer just couldn't, uh, get a real handle on this woman's actual personality. She just made her personality fit whatever the story needed for the moment. Kind of felt that's where we were at. Um, what about you, Ish? Okay, so I liked Abby. Uh, I got enough information to know who she was. I have a pencil, that's all right. To know who she was. <laughs> Uh, where she was coming from. Uh, yes, uh, like it was mentioned, it wasn't mentioned until later that there was a kind of a support system. Her, what was it, her cousin, I, I believe, um, was there. But here was my biggest concern with her. Okay, obviously, her kids are freaking starving, and her little one's so sick, she has to get this job to pay for medicine. Um, I hate to say it. That I don't want to start a fight and I don't want to be political, but what the fuck's the public aid? I'm sorry. Your fucking kids are starving. You have no money. Swallow your pride. Get some damn food stamps and some medical cut care. It's really that simple. Um, I felt the more the story progressed, e even though I still like Debbie. Look, I even got paper. Uh, I, I started to, like, just little things. Food was left on her doorstep. She took it in and she's like, oh, hey, kids, look, we have food. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> what? Well, you know what? Here's a little arsenic, children. But right. it's okay. What, it was free. What creeper left this on my door? We, we don't care. We'll just eat it. Yay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that was a little concerning. Uh, I did love the internal thoughts that she had. I really did. I mean, there there was a couple parts where she, you know, she like laughs to herself. She's like, "It's a dark and stormy night." It's so cliche that she recognizes it's it's cliche. So that made it funny to me. Um, believe it or not, though, my biggest issue came from Eric. Or what, what was the nickname they gave him? Oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanking. Dodger. On it. Dodger. Dodger. Yes. Yes. So we can we uh, can but, hear those thoughts when we get to Dodger. Oh, okay. I didn't know we were doing that. Okay. Well, so Ish we'll probably has, or excuse me, Paulina probably has an opinion about <laughs> Abby. Okay. Oh, it's my turn to talk about her. I don't yes. like her. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. First of all, like you guys all said, she's a horrible mother. Just say it, put it out there. Baby had like a hundred and something fever and she's like, I need my job. I can't go home. What? Really? I think your boss understands your kid is sick. You need to go home. They have a hundred and something fever. One. 
Two, the kids never got developed. Like they seem like luggage he just lugged around. You never heard them talk. You never heard them nothing. I just like she's like, oh, they picked him up and carried him here, or she took them here, or she wrangled them into the car. I'm like, okay, so she, I mean, it's just I don't know. To me, it just seemed like they weren't kids; they were just luggage. She could have been lugging around teddy bears for all I could care. I mean, it didn't make me care about the kids. So when you know the when the whatever was after the kids, to me, I was just like, man, take them. They're not going to take away from the story because they're not there. They don't exist in the story. So that's one of the things. I think more it was just the fact that I felt that she wasn't, like like as Ish said, it, it felt like she wasn't a mom. I mean, come on, dude. First of all, you give your kids food from the doorstep. You, you don't take your kids to the doctor. You don't get aid. And I'm just like, I understand fantasy, but at a certain point, and, and again, like, okay, she's starving when her cousin was at the house. She didn't see that they had no food. And she had a husband. Why didn't they bring her food? You're just going to let your cousin starve and just come babysit her kids? That makes no sense to me either. So, I mean, to me, I just, I couldn't get past the point that she wasn't, she wasn't fulfilled as a mother. So then I couldn't care about a lot of other stuff that happened. Ish has something to say before we move on. Go ahead, um, I don't think the, uh, the, uh, you know, I can't come home because I have to keep my job with the fever thing was an issue. Um, I've been there. I, I've been there. I, I've had, you know, the babysitter or my mom call and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so is running a fever. If they're in capable hands, then that's fine. You, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. So that really wasn't an issue for me. I actually understood that quite well. Been there, done that. It sucked, but you can't leave every time your child has a fever, you know, or you're just not going to work. So uh, just wanted to kind of throw that in there. <laughs> uh, Amy? Um, I just wanted to say that the one there was one thing about Abby that um, – maybe really irritated me and it was the feelings that she expressed toward her husband who was terminally ill and um, eventually succumbed to his illness she expressed how she was so angry with him that he didn't fight um, for her family and how he just left them all alone and um, now she has to care for these three kids and he should have tried that last drug, even though it was a last ditch effort and she didn't know why he gave up on them. And I really felt like that demeaned her as a person to me because this is your husband. This is the man that you loved enough to have three children with and he was suffering. And instead of saying, I didn't want him to suffer anymore. I'm glad he, you know, it's over. And I'm sorry, but like a 5% chance to me is not worth watching somebody waste away for another five years. And maybe that's my personal opinion on the subject of end of life and palliative care and all those things that, cause I'm in healthcare and it goes along. I see what happens to people when they're in that situation and spouses don't want to let go. But at the same time, like to be pissed off that he left you to care for your kids, you're their mother. That's your job. Just like, it's my job and Isha's job and Elle's job to take care of our kids. You know, I just, I, I didn't like her primarily for that fact too, I think. 
Okay, so I think we're moving on to the next character. No, I have one thing I wanted to mention. Did anyone else catch that she was eating sandwiches out of the garbage? So everyone's yelling at me. crashed several times. Okay, so, yeah, it came up several times that she was eating food out of the garbage, which, if you are starving, I understand. But she, at no point, thought, this is gross. Or She, at no point, thought, I work in a tea house, so there might be food in the fridge. Right? Or leftover. He gave her some cookies. You could eat any, you could eat and drink the tea. So why is she in the trash? But she chose to eat right. the sandwich off the top of the garbage, right? She pulled a George no, no. for anyone who Maybe it was habit because she's been scrounging for lo so long. Maybe that's what the author thought. It was just nothing for her to look in the trash and say, oh, look, you know, half-eaten sandwich. Right. I think but that for her to have no, no second-guessing that. Basically, the one sentence was like, the sandwich looked okay. At no point would I think a sandwich that came out of the trash would look okay. I mean, and not have a like, oh my God, I'm eating trash out, of, you know, eating a sandwich out of the trash moment. Right. Like, even if you've been picking out of the trash for a while, from a, a reader's perspective, if she never has that thought, well, I'm starving. Like, there, there's, I, I think every person that's that's had to pick something up off the floor out of the trash has been like, oh, should I eat I do want to bring or? up the fact that Eric seems to think that she's fairly curvaceous, which is kind of hard to maintain if you're starving. Also, right. if you have to eat out of the trash, you can't maintain your, you know, <laughs> so I'm just saying yep. that that's kind of a, a little bit of a, a double talk right there also. Right. And speaking of Eric, uh, Ishabel wanted to start with Eric. Okay. Did anybody catch the fact that he's a Viking ghost? And he's all like, oh, she's on her cell phone. Like, totally cool. What? Okay, I understand he's been alive for centuries. And he has been exposed to the modern world, per se. He's hanging out with ghosts, obviously, from other centuries and time periods. But I don't care who you are. You are raised and set in a certain culture and way. You don't freaking change that. You may adapt, but you don't stop. <laughs> you know, you don't start sounding like a freaking surfer. I'm sorry, you don't. <laughs> so I was actually quite perturbed by his modern lingo and his modern attitude because, quite frankly, he wasn't Viking enough. And he's like, well, I'm a Viking. Okay, for one, you wouldn't know that's what the hell you were called because that term wasn't coined till a thousand years later, by the way. Okay. For two, you're not very manly. I don't even know what he looked like. He looked like a Viking. That was all I got. Okay. I've did seen you, a lot of Vikings. Which did you catch fine. that the author actually had in the narrative um, told the reader that he was an alpha male? She didn't show that he was an alpha male in any of the, the dialogue or actions, but we were told that he was no. an alpha male, whatever the hell that well, actually exactly. And, and that's my point. He was not anything but a guy, just a random guy. He, he was polite. Yeah, he, he was polite to a fault almost. You know, he really didn't have anything that made him 
seemed like he was just big and strong and he was going to protect her from the poltergeist. You know, he's all like, it, she got rid of the poltergeist. She's like, get out of my house. <laughs> so my issue more than her, believe it or not, is him because I feel gypped. I didn't get a Viking. I got, I don't know what the hell. It wasn't a Viking though. So I was kind of mad. <laughs> you got a surfer in armor. With a sword. Yes. Okay, so that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm gonna be mad over here while you. Okay, my turn on this one. Um, he he didn't come alive at all. He was so boring as a character. I guess you can say. I kind of, I was kind of lost. I finished the book because I was like, oh, yeah, let's finish the book. But I had no connection to him whatsoever. Like they said, they she told us he was an alpha. He didn't act like an alpha. I read a lot of books with alphas that you don't have to speak about it. Um, and he wasn't, he just said, I am a, like, he's like, I'm a 1B spirit. And then he explained what it was. And I'm like, uh, okay. That's nice, I guess you can say. And then he talks about how, like, he, that one guy had to live through his death, but he was the only ghost that had to live through his death every night. Like, how did you die? He wouldn't answer questions. We don't know how he died. We don't know why he can't get into Valhalla. We don't know anything. He, he avoided the questions through the whole book. And I was getting frustrated as a reader because she would ask the questions and he would turn it around on her. Like, uh, so how did you die? Well, I don't want to talk about that. Why aren't you? In, I don't want to talk about that. And I'm just like, well, hello, it's a book. You need to tell me why at least. Like, can I hear your inner thoughts so I can know why? And like, what is what is your mother-in-law? Why why is she why is she able to pull you if you're a strong spirit? How is she able to pull you from one plane to another without your say so? Um, what the what was the point of her? What was the point of a lot of things? Like, he just seemed like a character that was floating through and things were happening to him. The whole the whole book so i kind of sat there like okay well you're not moving the story forward or backwards especially when you can't even protect her from another spirit like she did all the work and you took some of the credit you did nothing you pulled out a sword i'm gonna fight you really you're gonna fight wow okay <laughs> so to me i think that um a lot more could have been in his development like it said we need to know what he looks like not just, just like he's the Viking. Everybody has a different view of what a Viking looks like. Tell me what he looks like. He could have been more developed in the sense of show us that he's more of an alpha. Show us that he can fight. Again, make his speech pattern more, you know, like a Viking. Um, just There's, there's a cer certain things in it. I just couldn't connect with him, unfortunately. Um, L. Well, Ish had one more thing. Yeah, she's over there waving. She had one more thing. <laughs> what the fuck was his obsession with? Let me make you some tea. What? Your yeah, he's not British. By a poltergeist? You know what? Let me make you some tea. Oh, God, that's so alpha of you. Please make me some tea. Two sugars and a cream, please. I actually stopped and did. I love you more if you give what? me a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Right, I mean, he was just determined to make her some freaking tea. Just got scared, and he still wanted to make her tea. She was like, "Why is he? A, what is a poltergeist? Right, let me make you some tea first, motherfucker!" Right? 
Okay, yeah, I tried um, to get that out. The least she could have done is offered her some mead or something alcoholic. You know, we've just had this crisis. Have some booze, not some tea. So Eric was generally likable for me, <clears throat> but I don't have a clear vision of what he actually looks like. Just that he's the Viking and an alpha male, which whatever the hell, everyone has their own opinion. And it really bothered me that being a Viking, he was not all that upset that he didn't make it into Valhalla. Now, I'm not the history major. That is Ishabel. But I'm pretty sure that that's the main focus for um, Vikings is to make it into Valhalla. That is heaven for them. If you don't die in battle or the equivalent, I guess, um, bad you. I mean, you're you're not a Viking. You're you're. I don't know what you are because I don't know that culture very. But but we've got a, a Viking ghost that didn't make it into Valhalla, and he's just like whatever. I'm going to take up gambling and I'm going to wander the globe. You know, so he probably died in Switzerland or Scandinavia somewhere. Um, but now he's in. I think I had one moment where I think that the the setting of the book is Canada, because she said something about Mounties. So I'm assuming Canada somewhere, but I don't know. It could be anywhere in the northern Northern America, honestly. Um, but so he's he's just wanders around and gambles at this house, and doesn't care that he missed his one opportunity to make it to Valhalla. I understand at the end of the book that he's he's fallen in love with Abby, and he, when he has his chance to go to Valhalla, he would rather be with the love of his life. <clears throat> but the buildup isn't there. Like the, I think that they their their love was basically a plot device to move everything forward. Like it wasn't it wasn't believable. Like like uh, Paulina said with the kids, they were just there as a plot device to make us feel sorry for Abby, and the the love that developed between Abby and Eric, it didn't feel genuine to me. Did it feel genuine to to you, Amy? Uh, no, pretty much nothing about this story felt genuine to me. Um, I felt like the author had uh, this idea of what she wanted, those, that very last paragraph was the whole entire buildup, which was, spoiler alert, um, they, she was going to start a detective agency. Okay, first of all, <clears throat> let's just be real. You can't just be a detective because you're good at solving mysteries. And honestly, because she could Google a little bit does not make her a mystery solving fiend. I mean, anybody who reads mysteries and loves mysteries, like it doesn't just happen that way. When you're reading Aurora Tea Garden, for example, or you're reading, you know, Miss Fisher's murder mysteries, or you're reading, you know, any of the famous mystery chicks nancy drew even for god's sakes it never is easy as easy as going to a computer and googling for the information that's not how investigative work works um so i think that even though that was the end point where the author was trying to get to was that they were going to start this detective agency um i don't really think that she had the plot um there to get to that point as far as Eric goes, um, I thought Eric was generally an okay guy. 
Um, I, if I passed him on the street and he was corporeal, I probably wouldn't have given him a second glance because as far as I know, he could look like Howdy Doody. I mean, I have no idea. Um, I don't, I, I mean, he could be from Magic Mike or he could be from, you know, Mr. Magoo. I have no idea because she did not give enough details, um, not even through Abby's eyes to say, this is, this is what my husband looked like and this is what I found attractive about my husband and he is the opposite of everything of that. Like, not even to give you that kind of scenario, the author didn't even go there. So, I felt like Eric was a bit glossed over. There were a few things about Eric that bugged the shit out of me. One of them was the tea thing. Um, one of them was the gambling thing. I don't particularly, it's not that I don't think the Vikings probably enjoyed gambling. I'm sure that they did. But, I mean, they were more about earning their way with their deeds and their actions into Valhalla. And I don't think that a real Viking would have given up just because he happened to die in an accident. If his mother-in-law knows Odin, there's no way he would have stopped trying to get to Valhalla and spent the rest of his days just gambling away. I don't think the Viking mindset was to just give up that easily um, because they were a largely um, focused group of people who had ideas about what they wanted to do and where they were going and how to get there. So I don't really think that that fit in very well. I don't think the author did her homework on a lot of things. I think she had an idea. I think she slapped down this story. She said, this is, you know, I'm gonna write a story about a detective. I don't know anything about detectives, but she's gonna be a detective. I'm gonna write a story about a Viking. I don't know anything about Vikings, but Vikings are cool. So dude will be a Viking. Like, I really think she just, doing any any research you know hey it, you know i'm gonna write about a haunted tea house i don't know what happens in tea houses but i'm gonna write about a tea house you know it's like me writing about a geisha i don't know what geishas do but i'm gonna write one because i if it's my story like that's just it's never gonna feel genuine to the reader if the writer doesn't know what they're writing about either so i kind of felt like it all fell flat for me just the homework wasn't there for the author to to give me enough details to really make me feel like I was transported to this place and this time with these characters. I didn't know enough about them. I don't know enough about the place to make it, you know, enjoyable. Okay, so Paulina wants to talk about plot. What do you got to say about plot, P? Okay, so first, this I think could have been category, category, whatever that word is. I can't even speak right now. It should be put into mystery. Um, this is something that my mom would read. And my mom loves mystery books because I think they could have took out the romance. It wasn't really there. It was forced. So if they took that out, it would be mystery. And it would be a really good mystery, I guess you can say. Uh, no, not mystery. Not mystery. Like, it's not romance. So Suspense? I suspense. Yeah, maybe suspense. She could have built on the fact that it was a haunted house and that she was going to be a detective. And I think, like, because she did go out and research and she could have went and asked questions and she could become a psychic detective, which would be kind of cool. And then he could have been her muscle and they could have went off that way. And it would have been better than as a romance. I don't, I, as a romance reader, I felt unfulfilled. Especially at the end when they're like, oh, we might revisit them later on and see where they are. I'm like, I don't give a fuck where they are, actually. I mean, I didn't, 
You know what I mean? Like it, it, it seems like the romance wasn't there. So why put it in romance? Why, why build me up to knock me down? So I was always looking for that. Um, cause I've read ghost stories before and either, you know, the specter moves on, enters another body because it gets their body back or a body back or something happens where the two can be together. And in this one, they hinted at the, there might be a way for them to be together but it didn't end on a note where I want to pick up another book and find out if they were together. Um, it seems to me that they kind of, I, I, it just, it seems like it was in the wrong category, I think. And like it, it says for Valentine's day. And I'm just like, well, that's the day of, that's the day of love. And it's the day of expressing love and all this other crap. Even if, I mean, pagan Christian doesn't matter what you are. And it seemed it, it, the title didn't fit either because I'm like, well, they didn't fall in love. They said they did, but I seen nothing to suggest it. So it kind of made me, it kind of made me upset, I guess, in the, in the end because I was like, well, you didn't get a body. He's not with her. So she's going to be a detective. Big deal. Um, yeah. Al? I agree with you that the issue of him not gaining a corporeal form uh, is a big deal because part of the requirement of being a romance is that the couple can actually be together. Um, now, it doesn't have to be happy for, happily ever after. It can be happy for now, but I would not be happy with a ghost form of my love interest that doesn't can't interact with me. So Eric has the ability to interact with the environment around him. At one point, the author said that Eric used his ability to, you know, pick up the children and put them in bed. However, his only interaction with Abby using that ability was to like blow her hair back or something. Like he could have used that ability to brush her cheek or something a little bit more intimate um, that would actually foster their their falling in love. It would make more sense that they fell in love if he would actually, I don't know, tried to touch her with his, his ability to affect the world around him. But it just wasn't there. So at the end of the book, she kind of has a goal. So she wants to open up this detective agency, which I agree with Amy, just because you can Google, or was it Paulina? Just because you can Google doesn't mean that you will make a detective. Um, but there seemed to be, like, they had no motivation throughout the whole thing, except that they were thrown together, they liked each other, and there was a poltergeist trying to kill Abby's children. And that was that was the plot. So there was this poltergeist, which is this unfortunate soul that was abused and... Pauline is waving at me. Sorry, was the police daughter ever saved? Did anybody know? Yes, it happened at the end. There was like a, not a prologue, a, um, it was like, a, it was after the end. So the book had ended and then there was a brief epilogue. There was a brief paragraph about that. And that was, that was another thing. We didn't really talk about Zane as a character, but he was really shallow. Um, and he was the henchman of the poltergeist, and at one point, he, he said, it's really hard being a bad cop. I'm like, I tell you what, if you have a crooked cop, they do not refer to themselves as a bad cop. They think they're the hero of some in some capacity. So, 
just the the villain was just kind of the henchman was thrown in as a plot device. He had no motivation of his own, and um, the kid, like Paulina said, the kids were thrown in as a plot device to make Abby to make people sympathetic to Abby and to give the the villain, the poltergeist, an actual target. So. With the romance novels, there's a lot going on. You've got you've got the external conflict and you've got the internal conflict. External was right where it needed to be. Internal, non-existent. And the internal is actually what gets people emotionally invested in the characters. And I did not get emotionally invested with characters. I like them. But when bad things happen to them, I didn't physically feel it. You know what I mean? If you've ever read a book where you've... You totally relate to the characters, even if they're nothing like you, but you relate to something that is going on in their lives. You physically feel it. You know, your 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 chest tightens up or your your pulse goes. I did not feel any of that for any of these characters. Amy, did you feel anything? I think I know the answer. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be honest with you, <laughs> which when am I not honest with you? But um I'll tell you at first. I picked up the book and I did not read the blurb. So, you know, I just was like, okay, this is the book ish, ish picked. Let's read it. So I turned to page one and I'm like, okay, this is an interesting, you know, um, kind of a premise that the author's got going on here. Cause you have poor widow, young widow who needs a job and she takes a job at um, a haunted tea house. So, I'm like, okay, this is an interesting premise. She's going to meet a Viking ghost and, you know, things are going to get good. And here, as I'm moving along, I'm expecting a novel length story because I think to me that a premise that um, complicated would probably need a few thousand more words than what it got. So I didn't really feel all that much for the characters because I don't think there was enough time. I don't think the author gave herself enough time to, um, really develop them in any way. I just, I didn't feel like, I felt like they were character sketches um, and not really developed three-dimensional characters that readers could really um, relate to. As far as Zane goes and plot goes, as far as the poltergeist goes, I thought all of that was really poorly done. Um, and I'm not trying to beat up the poor author here. I see why from the outside as the author, it seems like that would work. Um, you know, you have this poor kid who was murdered and his murderer was never found and he's very upset and angry. And, you know, that's how poltergeists are formed. And, and, and then, you know, um, they throw in, you know, he's going around eating kids, souls and all these things. And it just didn't work for me as a, a plot device because they didn't expound upon it enough and the villains weren't they weren't even, you know, as developed as the two poorly developed main characters. They were really, really, really shallow. So uh, it wasn't a do not finish. I think what saved it was it being a novella. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, if the author would have given a little bit more exposition and things to the characters, I think we would have all been a little bit more satisfied. Ish. Okay. 
I actually liked Zane's plot. I actually thought it was a brilliant idea. However, it just didn't reach the proper fruition. Uh, as most of the issues with the plot in the book, it was short in thought. That the bare bones was given to us on everything, but it just wasn't completely there. I, I think the overall plot of the story has great potential. It has awesome potential. Um, uh, here's where I wrote uh, the story's choppy. It, it, the chapters are very short. It, it's choppy. It, it's almost like scene cuts from a B movie. You know how they just kind of switch over. You know, I did love the little chapter heading titles. I thought those were kind of cute. Uh, you don't see that too often, so you know that kind of made me go, hey, "That was funny." But it was choppy because, well, like she was talking on the phone with. I guess her cousin, maybe, and she's like, oh, that house is haunted, and she's like, yeah, and then it just cuts off. You don't know what's said. You know, things like that were not thought out and pushed through. I think if the author had taken more time, I think the book could have been much, much, much more. Um, uh, I did like the references and the information given on how there were, I mean, it was very vague, but it was there, you know, what type of ghost he was. I actually got a chuckle out of the, uh, what was it, ghost-human relationship thing. <laughs> I actually found that funny. I was like, oh, well, okay, you can't have ghost-human relationships. They never work out. wonder why. But, um, Might be the lack of body. <laughs> it could be, a lack of penis. That kind of kills it uh, but overall I'm gonna actually give the book a 3.5 because I did finish it and enjoy about it I, like I said I, I liked the humor I just really really wish it was more developed I think a developmental editor would have just done wonders for this book as a whole. Uh, you know, just flush it out. Really, that's all it needed. So I'm giving it a 3.5 overall. You know, even with the things I didn't dislike, there was still enough that I liked that I kept reading it. And I, I think Amy was right, though. I think it being a novella is what makes it easier. To give it that much of a rating because if the book was going to be a long book and written the way it was in those short little chapters i probably wouldn't have finished it so that's my final thoughts on it i enjoyed it in the end enough to give it a 3.5 yeah p put in the comments that she gives it a three uh amy what did you think um i I'd probably go 2.7 or 2.9, not because I hated it or it was awful. Um, it takes a lot, I will tell you, and I think everybody in this panel agrees that once you become an author, you're, the way you read books changes. Um, I know I have become very, very much 
more particular about certain things and it is very difficult to find a story that will make me give it a five-star rating like it's really hard it has to be stellar on all levels and um so from like my perspective i'm going to say like like i said a two seven to a two nine i think it needed more exposition it needed more thoughts i thought like um l had posted on the side chat it was very skewed toward abigail's thoughts um you didn't hear enough or learn enough about eric to make him a worthwhile character and he did not get a corporeal body so I didn't feel like the story actually wrapped up in any kind of happy ever after or ha even a happy for now because I think that within a couple of weeks she would start getting resentful of the fact that he doesn't have any way to be intimate with her on a physical level. Um, and I know that that sounds really shallow, but I think that human people and and in general we just need that we need physical touch um in order to feel secure in relationships so i don't think it would have really been that much of a happy for now either um so yeah i'm gonna go with 2.7 to 2.9 um i did finish it uh like ish said i think it being a novella helped that area as well um if the author would have just done a little bit more to flesh out the characters and to give the plot more streamlined i, I probably would have gone up a little bit more I like to call this kind of novel some like a popcorn novel and it's kind of the same rating as movies it's a popcorn movie popcorn novel it's entertaining I'll read it because it's there I'm not going to read it again uh, it was a solid three I know that how much effort goes into writing one of these but like Amy said because we're writers we can pick it apart much faster than a typical reader can however I did notice that even though I didn't understand the mechanics before I actually became a full-time, well, I'm not a full-time writer, but a professional writer, um, I knew something was wrong. I couldn't articulate what was going on, but I'm like, this this isn't right, this doesn't engage me. I was never able to say, hey, it's because the character has no motivation or anything like that. So yeah, this is a solid three for me. So. I, last thought is this is called a Viking ghost for Valentine's Day and the character was decorating for Valentine's Day throughout the book and at the last chapter Valentine's Day happens and she got roses and that was it so it I think that she used Valentine's Day in the title as uh, to try to grab readers that are looking for something to read for Valentine's Day <clears throat> which I understand but can also be uh, <laughs> false advertising. Uh, so three, four, three from me. And we lost Ish. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. If you like the podcast, please like, comment, and share. This has been episode 26. Links will be in the, com uh, the show notes. Good night. Good night. <laughs>